It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, we're back on. This is take two. I got to tell you, you know, last week, this past week has just been a comedy of errors. Um, I wanted to record this show last Friday, but I had some crazy voice thing. I went on vacation the week before and um, came back to Georgia from Disney World. And um, I don't know if I'm allergic to the state or what, but I had all kind of sinus and everything else and it messed up my voice. And then we come back here. We record a great podcast yesterday afternoon and somehow in the transformation we have to i'll tell you a lot of you guys complain about the tinny sound i truly think that's because we compress the show to try to not make the file so big to send it out to you guys we're going to stop that we're going to do some trial runs we're just going to go ahead and send this thing out in the full high quality format and um see if you'll get any um hoops and hollers from you guys um or if you complain and tell me to go back to the old way but what we're here for today welcome to the money guy show this is brian preston your host By day, I am a fee-only financial planner, a certified public accountant, a certified financial planner, and a personal financial specialist. And I've got a show for you today. We're going to be talking about when, where, and how to invest, Investing 101. And you say, well, Brian, why do you have Investing 101 after the title? The reason is is because this is going to be a whole series. This is not going to be a a one-time in, out, and I move on to another financial chaos topic. This is going to be something where I'm going to start off at the elementary level to make sure we pick up everybody and then go deeper and deeper into the process of investing. And the reason I've decided to jump on to investing is that I have really been doing a lot of soul searching and thinking about this podcast. You know, we started doing this about a year and a half ago and we were one of the first ones out there. I know that sounds ridiculous only being a year and a half old, but we were one of the um, kind of the, the people who were wading into an uncharted territory. And it was a lot of mom and pops like myself doing this type of thing, grassroots growth. And then you saw the big guys come. You saw the Wall Street Journals. You saw the Kiplingers. You saw, um, I mean, Business New- Business Week. I mean, there's a- everybody's got a podcast. It's not uncommon to watch your favorite nightly show and see that they are advertising a podcast that they do as well. So I'm trying to think about what can we do that's different than everybody else that really sets us apart. And it hit me, it's so obvious, is that we, by day, I am a fee-only investment advisor and wealth manager, and there's not many of those out here on the podcast circuit yet. You know, it's, it's not uncommon that you can go find out, you know, how to spend less money on your current income, or you can go learn that credit card debt can drain you of your financial independence. But how often do you find a podcast that's actually going to tell you what to do with your money without you having to pay the $1,500 to $2,000 to buy into their proprietary product? It doesn't happen very often. And I think the primary reason is, is that most don't have the training, um, the expertise to do it. And the other side of it is, is like I said, I think most of them are trying to sell you some type of product. We're not doing that. My whole purpose for doing this podcast is since I am on the fee-only side, I have investment minimums. Um, I was trying to level the playing field for the people who don't meet our minimums 
um, for asset management, and this thing is just kind of taking a life of its own. But I'm very excited to be here with you, and um, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, jumping right into, well, before I get right in, let's talk about how you can contact the show. First of all, if you want to go get show notes so you can keep up with this, because I know a lot of you guys are exercising, you're driving, you're doing something other than having pen and paper in hand, and I'm going to throw out some good information to you and websites that you're going to want to know about, you don't have to write it down. I try to make this as easy as possible. I've put it all show notes on our website, and that's money-guy.com. You can go out there and download the show notes print them off. All the links are there so you don't have to write any of this stuff down. If you're really lazy, or actually really smart, I should say, you can also go on the website and on the far left-hand side, there's an email newsletter that we make available to subscribers where you just type in your email address and what happens is every time we do a new show, it will email you the show notes um, with links and everything. It really makes it cool. Plus, it gives you the opportunity to know when I've done a new show because we know we do these things every two to three weeks um, because, once again, this is not my day job. So that that's something you can key into. If you want to email me to give me comments about the show, it's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com, and um, I welcome all comments and, and anything else you can say that might help us improve the show. I will at the end of the show, I'm going to tell you about our wealth report, give you an update on that. That's our print newsletter that we send out to our financial planning clients that we also make available to my podcast subscribers if you pay the $29 subscription fee. And um, I'm going to give you all the topics and things we're going to talk about in that newsletter at the end of the show. Um, and, I, and I think you'll see that it, it, it's worth a lot of what we're paying for, plus all proceeds do help support the podcast. So jumping right in, the first thing I think that we need to talk about is I need to put you in the right state of mind. And there was an article this past weekend that um, really did a good job of that. And that, and that article was um, talking about, really, uh, it was done by Yahoo and, um, and Bankrate on retirement, the state of, of retirement. It's actually titled Status on America's Retirement, and it was done by Leslie Gary. And I thought this was a great article to really tune us up and get us ready to talk about investing because what Leslie talked about in this article, and it started off, is just where are we at? You know, because, and I'm going to get into the details, but she started it off with this startling statement. It said, America's dreams of retirement are more likely to resemble fitful nightmares unless they do more to plan ahead, according to numerous studies that show many workers fail to adequately prepare for life after work. And and that's scary to think about you're coming to retirement and you don't have enough money saved up. And now your dream of greener pastures and relaxing, playing more golf, traveling, whatever you might, your hobby is, um, might not be a reality for a lot of people. Check out some of these stats and the reasons why. We're in a do-it-yourself era now. Um, and this is why I want to get you pumped up about doing investing is because it, since it is a do-it-yourself era, because let's think about it. Pensions are going away. Your parents, your grandparents might have had pensions, but you're not going to have the opportunity to have a pension because employers have moved away from um, having that big liability to the company. Also, Social Security is a joke. And if you're a younger person, you know that. I mean, you know you're putting in more money than you're ever going to get out of that system. And, And it's a Ponzi scheme because the whole thing is set up to where Your money that you're putting into the system is used to pay current retirees. There is no trust fund. There is no savings. This thing, if you do the um, look at 
our population and the aging population, we're in trouble. So you can't count on Social Security as well. So who does it fall upon? I hope you can feel that weight on your back because that is the weight of you trying to find your own financial independence and figuring out retirement on your own. And you've got to be resourceful, and obviously you are if you found this podcast. So that's where we are is we're in the do-it-yourself era where you have to do more decisions and take control and make sure you're involved with those 401Ks. You're doing the Roth IRAs if, you can, if your income's low enough. And also that you remember if you're a young person – you can do anything you want with your money as long as you're putting away 15 to 20% of that gross wage. Um, so you make $50,000, you want to try to put away, you know, somewhere around $10,000 a year would be really nice um, to, to really making sure that you're in a good position when you retire. Um, let's, let's move on to the next thing. I want to give you an, a status update on some of these stats. They had a research group, the EBRI research group, that came up with these stats. It said 49% of workers have saved less than $25,000. Okay. You're like, well, maybe a lot of them are really young, but that, that 49%, that seems like that's not really, um, possible among older individuals who are at least age 55, one third has under $25,000. Did you hear that? People who are over 55, there's one third of them that have less than $25,000. There's no retirement in their future if that's your case, unless you have a nice pension set aside for you. Otherwise, you're working until essentially you fall over. And that's a sad place, but that's where a lot of us are because we have not done what we need to be doing. Only a small minority, 14% of people of all ages, have more than $250,000. Among those 55 and older, 29% have saved that much more or more. Now, I wish they would have done the bar a little bit higher. $250,000 sounds like a decent amount of money, but I really think if you're a retired person or a person approaching 55, 60, 65 years of age, you, I want to know how many people have half a million dollars, have a million dollars, or have more than a million dollars. Those are the numbers they need because $250,000 is not going to generate a huge sum of retirement income. But um, that's where they chose to do it in, the, in, these, in this statistical review um, in this article. I want to get on to my younger investors, too, as well as maybe some of my middle-aged investors, if you haven't caught the clue yet. There are a lot of you that are leaving money on the table. Since we've talked about we've got this do-it-yourself era of investing now, where you have to fund your own retirement, um, the government has tried to push employers to do a little bit of... Um, essentially greasing the wheel or priming the pump where they give you usually a 3% match on your put, on what you put in and they put a threshold that you have to put in to get that 3% match. The statistical research shows that 22% of those who contribute to a 401k are not putting enough in to get that full match. That is washing money down the toilet. That's like taking um, dollars of bills, hundreds of dollars of bills, thousands of dollars of bills, and just throwing them in the trash can and putting them out there in the dumpster. That's how bad it is if you're not saving for retirement. So don't make that mistake. Now I'm going to give you guys an out. I blame some of these missteps on lack of knowledge and plain old frustration that you feel overwhelmed by all the investment choices that have been laid upon you since none of you, you know, they don't teach this stuff in high school. How often do you go to school and um, they tell you how to be smart with your money? Very rarely. You know, they, you can have all these other classes that, um, you know, you get out and you will never use that subject matter again in your life, but then you um, 
it, it, when you're in school, you need to learn how to handle money. And unfortunately, that's not there, so you have to find other sources like the Money Guy podcast. So I'm glad you're here. Let's see if we can help correct that problem and get you on the road to true financial independence by helping you out with this whole investment process. The first question, when should you invest? Really, there's not a bad time to invest, but you do have to remember that time is both your friend as well as your foe. And you may be asking yourself, what do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about it. If you need an example, let's put an illustration up there because I'm kind of a visual math guy. I like to, to actually have an example of what I'm talking about. If you want to reach that goal of $1 million by the time you reach age 65, and let's just assume a, an optimistic rate of return of 10% a year. If you want to reach that million dollars by the time you're 65 with a 10% rate of return, let's talk about what each age group has to save to reach that goal if they want to say on a, save on a monthly basis. If you're a one-year-old and you come out and you're smart enough to know that you need to start saving, um, or maybe you have parents that start saving for you, you only have to save $14 a month to be a millionaire. If you wait that 19 additional years and wait until you're 20 years of age, you would have to save $95 a month. Still not too bad. You wait until you're 30 years old, you have to save $263 a month. 40 years old, you have to save $754 a month. If you're 50 years old, you have to save $2,413 a month. Do you see the power of compounding interest? That's why I say time is both your friend and foe. If you start early enough, it's definitely your friend. If you wait too long, it can come back to haunt you. And that's a recap in these. One-year-old only needs to save $14 a month. 20-year-old needs to save $95 a month. That 30-year-old has to save $263 a month. 40-year-old, $754. And the 50-year-old, God help them, has to save $2,413 a month. So as you can see... The longer you wait, the harder it becomes to build financial independence. So let's move on to the next thing. Where should you invest? I think that most people really should invest with one of the low-cost mutual fund companies or um, one of the low-cost brokerage firms. And I've provided some examples on the website. Um, for mutual fund companies, I put Fidelity Investments and Vanguard Funds. And, you know, and both of those are known for the low-cost mutual funds that are, you know, they have many, many options. So you can put together a pretty good diversified portfolio from the, just their fund groups um, and, and really help yourself out and focus on what's important, which is the cost and fees and how much you're saving. Um, if you want to go with the low-cost brokerage, accounts because maybe you want to buy a little bit of stock and I'm going to get into that in a minute to try to 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 sway you to think about things in certain ways but if you want to use one of the low-cost brokerage accounts there's TD Ameritrade there's um, Fidelity Investments and then there's Charles Schwab and I've got links once again to those websites on our um, if you go to our website as well on the money money-guy.com so those are the um the places that you should consider where to invest at. Now let's talk to really the meat of this whole subject matter, the how should you invest. And I'm going to try to keep this as simple as possible. The first thing I want to talk to you guys about is stocks and bonds versus just buying mutual funds. I know that there is something very, very sexy about owning an individual stock and it hitting it big, and then you can go brag to all your friends about how smart you are that you picked this individual stock and um, have made this money off of it. And I understand 
that mutual funds are boring. Let's just go ahead and get that out of there. Stocks seem sexy. Mutual funds are boring. It does, That is not, but uh, I'm going to tell you, you don't need to be tempted to buy those individual socks because it is hard to find that next Walmart, that next Apple computer, that next Microsoft, that next Home Depot. Because even if you choose the right company, when do you sell it? When, you know, when you, you buy this stock, because I'm going to make this challenge. I think if you did find the next Microsoft, there's a part of you that is, um, if you bought it, say, you put $5,000 into it at the beginning when the company started, after it goes up 100% or 200%, say your $5,000 investment has turned into $10,000 or $15,000, I don't think there's many of you out there that are not going to sell at those stages. You're going to think that you're brilliant, sell them at that stage, and then you're going to kick yourself in 10 years when that $5,000 could have been worth a half a million dollars. So that's the key part is how do you know when to buy and when to sell those individual stocks? It's a hard thing to do. You're not an analyst. Also, how do you keep up with the, the financial markets enough so that you can unload an individual stock fast enough to protect yourself if you get one of those crazy companies like WorldCom or Enron that does something, accounting-wise, that just drops the bottom out of your stock and you're left holding the bag? These are things that um, I think you really got to think about. Stocks are great, but they're very hard for the average investor to be successful at in the long term, unless you go do something like Warren Buffett advocates, which is you do a permanent portfolio. If you have a product that you love or, or something that you use and you truly believe in this company, you can buy that stock and just sit on it forever. And I think that's a long-term good philosophy. You know, but I, I think for, the, for trying to figure out what to do with your retirement, the easier solution that has a better proven track record is buying the boring old mutual funds. I know they're not sexy, but man, do they get there a lot easier, and you don't have to lose, have those sleepless nights, and you can get a much more diversified portfolio from going with the boring old low-cost mutual funds. So I'm going to break it out, and I'm going to say something that's probably going to shock a, few, a, a group of you out there, because I'm going to get emails, and I'm going to try to sway that off right now, from other advisors saying, how dare you say this? I say that investors fall into two groups when it comes to mutual fund investing. People with less than $200,000, I think they should consider self-managing their money. And then people with greater than $200,000 in investments, I think they should consider working with a fee-only institutional investment advisor. So before y'all start sending me emails, realize I say this because there, there is articles, there's research out there. There was even one in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Um, by, if you go to the personal journal and look at the, the Jonathan Clements topic talking about really getting your money to work for you and, and he was i think he did the article for college graduates um who were entering the workforce but he said something very key if you looked in the article it was that you've got to accumulate a good baseline of savings and investments to start working for you it seems very daunting and a huge task to try to save a million dollars but you don't have to look at it like that the baby step in this whole process is that you're trying to save like there's no tomorrow to get to that $200,000 because I think if you can get to that $200,000, the money starts generating 
more than you're contributing. And that's a powerful, powerful thing because now your money's working for you more than your hands are working for you. That doesn't mean you stop contributing. It just means that you've built enough baseline that your money and the compounding interest can really start to do something for you. So I think that you don't need to get fo- caught up in and focused on all this noise out there below $200,000 if you can just go buy low-cost mutual funds that do everything for you. There's all these balanced and asset allocation funds and target retirement funds that will do everything for you decently well, not, not superior, not great, but good enough that it does everything that you need to let you focus on what's important, which is saving as much as you can to get you to that $200,000 as fast as possible. So let's talk about a few examples of what you might want to consider. Vanguard offers target retirement funds. They start in the year 2005. They have a, 2000, a Vanguard target retirement 2005 fund, so that would be somebody who retired in 2005, that goes all the way to 2050. And they, they go in five-year increments. So, I mean, this covers the gamut. you got somebody who just retired two years ago, or you could have somebody who's going to retire in the year 2050. And the minimum initial investment is $3,000 with, of course, no commissions and internal expenses of less than quarter of a percent a year. Fidelity offers a very similar fund category. It's called the Freedom Funds. Um, they start at... Um, 2000, they have a 2000 fund for somebody who retired about seven years ago that goes all, and then they have funds that go all the way up to the 2050 fund, which is, uh, they go in five year increments as well. And their minimum initial investment is $2,500 with no commissions, of course, and internal expenses range from a half to percent to, t- to 80.8, I said 80 basis points, but to 0.8% a year. Now, those internal expenses, if you look at Vanguard, which is less than a quarter of a percent a year, and then Fidelity, which is half a percent to 0.8%, that's still a great deal because you're getting a fully diversified portfolio as well as your internal expenses. If you look at like the Vanguard, it's a quarter of a percent or less. The average internal expense on mutual funds domestically is 1.5%. So you are really getting a deal. I mean, this thing is six times cheaper than what most people are paying, and you're getting all the asset allocation that you can handle at this early stage of your saving process. These are things to consider. Also, on both of these, you probably can get in cheaper. If you don't have the $3,000 or the $2,500 minimum investment, if you do a monthly savings plan, meaning if you sign up through one of these providers with a savings, um, you know, where they're going to draw out of your account every month, the minimums are much lower. And you can do this stuff by going directly to their websites. And that's why I've put links out there because I've gotten several emails from you guys asking, hey, do I buy from a broker? Do I buy? How do I, how do I get these investments that you keep mentioning? Go to the website. They've got it where it's very easy where you can download applications. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, they even have 1-800 numbers where you can get somebody to help you do the application over the phone. Now, for those that have over $200,000, because you're probably saying, Brian, you're, you're, you're talking yourself out of a job here. Why would anybody hire you after you've just given, told everybody, they can just go do these Fidelity Freedom Funds, these Vanguard Target Retirement Funds. Schwab even has these retirement date funds. The reason is, is that I'm not worried about it. There are several reasons why retail people, meaning people walking off the street, have a hard time outperforming institutional advisors. We have some inherent advantages over the public. And let's go over what those are so you don't think that, hey, 
Brian's, Brian's about to be out of a job because I'm not worried about that whatsoever. The first thing is institutional advisors, we have access to what's called institutional funds. They're not available to the public. If you need an example, let's talk about PIMCO total return. If you know anything about fixed income mutual funds, PIMCO total return is the daddy of them all. You know, people talk about Warren Buffett because he is the oracle from Omaha, and he is the guy, that, you know, the guy, if you want to talk about stocks, people want to talk about Warren Buffett. But let's talk about who the king of bonds is. That is Bill Gross. Bill Gross is the manager for PIMCO Total Return, one of the owners of PIMCO. And they, just so you know how big of a player this company is, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday where they have now hired federal, uh, former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan as a personal consultant to this company. And plus, let's not, talk, let's not forget Bill Gross, when he makes a statement about the bond marketplace, it moves the market. Because they are that big and that influential, this is the daddy of all bond funds. But the PIMCO Total Return Fund is actually a commission-based fund. If you bought the A share, that symbol, if you want to go on Morningstar.com and check this out, the symbol is P-T-T-A-X, and that's the A share. The minimum initial investment is $2,500. You're going to pay a front-end commission to whoever sells you this product of 3.75%, and the net expense ratio is going to be 0.9% a year. That's pretty high for a bond fund, but these guys have, have justified some of these fees um, through their good performance. So that's what you get if you just buy the off-the-street, retail, off-the-shelf PIMCO Total Return Fund. Institutional advisors like myself and others out there, if you want to go to NAPFA, um, you know, the fee-only organization, that's N-A-P-F-A dot O-R-G. If you want to go check out the NAPFA website, great. I'm, a, I'm one of the members of that organization. Can't say enough great things. But Institutional advisors like myself, we buy the PIMCO total return, but we buy the institutional share. And the symbol for that is PTTRX. Now, check out this minimum investment that you have to have for the, the PIMCO total return if you're an institutional advisor. It's $5 million. Remember, retail, off the shelf, personally has to put $2,500 up. Well, for the institutional, it's $5 million. But I don't have to buy $5 million for every client. I just, as an advisor, have over $5 million with PIMCO, so I can continue to get new clients into it as well. And you say, well, why would you buy a fund like that? Let's talk about what the differences are. Remember, if you buy the retail share, the commission is 3.75%, meaning you give somebody $100,000 to put in this PIMCO fund, they're going to take home $3,750 of that and put it in their back pocket as a commission. When you buy the institutional share, the front-end commission is zero, none, nada. The net expense ratio is 0.43%. It went from 90 basis points, 0.90%, down to 0.43. It's half as cheap, plus you don't pay that front-end commission. Much better deal, and the long-term performance shows that you're getting that advantage. So there's one way that we can justify ourselves, and this is why you need to consider jumping over after you save like... Um, you have to watch it. Like save as much as you can to get to that $200,000. The second advantage that we as institutional advisors have is that we can purchase mutual funds for clients that have closed the new money. So you say, what does that mean, closed the new money? Especially with small company stock mutual funds, mid-sized company mutual funds, some international mutual funds, even some large cap mutual funds like Dodge and Cox, will close their doors to new investors. Because what happens is they get on some list that they are the 
the newest, latest, and greatest mutual fund in this asset class. And they'll be doing very well, and they'll make it in this magazine. And then everybody and their brother all of a sudden wants to go buy this mutual fund. So now this manager has been strapped with all this excess cash that they've got to go invest and find good opportunities out there for their clients. It's hard to do because you just can't find good companies to purchase in if you're one of these analysts and mutual fund managers. So what they'll do to protect their fund performance and the integrity of the fund is they will close their door to new investors. They will say, look, uh, as of this date, we are no longer taking money from brand new clients. The only people that can give us more money to invest are existing shareholders or owners of our mutual funds. Well, guess what? Being an institutional advisor, they don't look at each one of my clients as their client. They look at me as the advisor as their client. So I can still buy funds for a lot of the for brand new clients. You come to me with brand new money, I can get you into a lot of these funds that have been closed to new um, money. These the, what's called in the industry is soft close. If you need examples, because I like to give examples, don't ever trust somebody unless they can back it up with facts. If you go look at Hotchkiss and Wiley Midcap. If you want to go to Morningstar.com and type in the symbol H-W-M-I-X. Also, Artesian or Artisan Small Cap Value, A-R-T-V-X. You pronounce it however you want to, depending upon how sophisticated you feel like. Oakmark International Small Cap, O-A-K-E-X. And then one of my personal favorites recently, a great international fund, Matthews Asian Growth and Income, symbol M-A-C-S-X. You will notice these funds are closed to new investors But guess what? We can still get people into them. This is another inherited advantage that we have over the public. So the third thing, and probably the most important thing, is that once you've accumulated a decent amount of investment assets, that's when I use the example of $200,000 and greater, you really need an advisor to help you out with the asset allocation. Because those funds that I mentioned, you know, the target retirement funds, they do a good job. Um, they have some different asset classes, but primarily most of them are stocks and bonds with maybe a little bit of real estate and, um, some, and money markets. But they're not, that, they're not as diversified as, as somebody who comes in to a full advisor because we're going to get you in things like commodities. We're going to get you into things like hedge funds, absolute return strategies. We're going to get you into real estate, including international real estate. These are opportunities that that I think that you can add to the diversification and really turbocharge as well as protect the downside in the long term of your portfolio. So these are things that you can consider. And let's talk about the fourth thing on why you, after you've built up a decent nest egg that you want to consider a financial advisor is let's, let's face it, this is your retirement. You get one shot at it. So if you've built up a decent sum of money, you want to make sure that you've hired somebody who's been there, done that, and this isn't their first time to the rodeo that they're trying to figure out how to manage money. And let's face it, most of us, since we've only been on this world once, that's exactly what it is. We, are, we don't know what we're doing completely or feel completely comfortable. Um, so it sometimes helps to have somebody look over your shoulder and help you out. So as I stated, this is a series of podcasts. This was Investing 101. We're going to do another one going deeper into investing next time in the next few weeks. So if you feel like this podcast might have been too elementary for you, didn't give you enough meat, maybe give you enough little insight, don't worry. Hang in there. I'm going to have another podcast for you um, in a few weeks that will go even deeper into this world of investing. Before I sign off today, I did want to give you all an update on my newsletter. It's called The Wealth Report. Um, Those that have signed up, 
Don't worry, they're coming. We just got word from the printing company that they will be sent to us in the next few days. Um, So we're going to be sending out those Wealth Report newsletters to those who have already subscribed in the next week or two. So hang in there. We'll get those out to you. But for those that are interested, for $29 a year, we can get you quarterly issues that will help you make the best financial decisions and keep you up to date with the changing investment world. And all the proceeds do directly help us run this podcast. And if you need a teaser to know what's going to be in this issue, listen to this. We're going to have stories including mismanaged 401ks and how they put many retirees in jeopardy, very similar to the article I just went over today, a skeptical view of variable annuities giving you the real ins and outs of how variable annuities work, tax law changes that impact your retirement beneficiaries because it's not just your spouse that can inherit IRAs and let them grow tax-deferred anymore. They've changed that, so you've got to change your IRA beneficiaries. Um, Assets to um, five economic indicators to watch right now. If you've ever wanted to know which indicators to watch, to really know what's going on, to read the tea leaves of the economy. And then last, a, uh, a checklist of estate planning essentials to try to help you make sure that you're doing everything you need to protect your loved ones. So we try to chalk these, these newsletters with everything we can. And remember, this is different from the e-newsletter you sign up for to get the show notes. This is actually a print newsletter that we'll send to your house, and you can keep up with what's going on in the financial world. If you do want to subscribe, you can go to our website. We've got all the details over there on the bottom of the show notes. But um, you can also sign up by going to PayPal. My PayPal email account is brian at money-guy.com. You can donate at our website. Just make sure you note that this is for a podcast wealth report subscription. Or you can go um, uh, uh, and send me a check by mail through snail mail. And we have those address on our website at the money-guy as well. So, I hope this has been a great podcast for you. I hope this has helped you into the world of investing, and you'll tune in in a few weeks when we go deeper into the world. Until next time, may God bless you with good health, great friends, and future wealth opportunities. This is Brian the Money Guy. Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.